We gather on this Shabbat, the first Shabbat after October 7th, day that will live in infamy, still in shock, deep in mourning, and fearful for the weeks to come. We gather today to find comfort and consolation in and through each other. There have been many moments, dear friends, during this painful week that you have, un that you have comforted me and uplifted my spirits just by being here. We gather for Shabbat on the day that Hamas has termed a day of rage. It's a call heeded by tens of thousands of Hamas supporters on the streets of the West and on university campuses. It's a call to demonstrate support for Hamas's nihilistic philosophy and savage methodology and perceived by many of its supporters worldwide as a day of violence, primarily against Jews, Jewish institutions, and Israelis abroad. This is certainly how American security officials understand its aims. Our synagogue alone has invested enormous resources of time, talent, and treasure to protect our safety and security. We thank the New York City Police Department and all those in federal, state, and local government who work round the clock to protect the Jewish community. I'm grateful to you for simply showing up today. It's important for Jews and for all good people to show up now. Showing up is one answer to the question, what can I do? Do not cower, do not quail, do not quake, do not cringe. Do your part in this, the defining moral struggle of our times. What are the rally-goers rally supporting on this day of rage? What is their message? Many of their posters include pictures of paragliders demonstrating their support and enthusiasm for the butchers of Hamas who flew over the fence to murder Jews in their homes, in their beds, and in their shelters. In many cases, unable to break down the doors of the safe room where entire families were hiding, the murderers simply burned down the house Israelis died of fire and smoke. They were asphyxiated in their small chambers like their ancestors 80 years ago. Some of those terrorists previously worked in the very kibbutzim and farming communities they attacked. They knew precisely where every family lived. They knew their names. They knew the parents, the grandparents, 
and the children. They may have played with the children they murdered and whose bodies they mutilated. Some of the murdered were peace activists. I've met many of them in their villages down south. They maintained dialogue with Gazans throughout all these years. They brought them supplies. They waited for sick Palestinian children at the border crossings and drove them to Israeli hospitals, often paying for their sophisticated medical attention. Some of you have joined our missions to Europe. We visited Babi Yar in Ukraine, where 33,000 Jewish citizens of Kiev were marched into a steep ravine and gunned down. Our delegations stand over that ravine in stunned silence, asking ourselves over and over again, how could this happen? October 7th, 2023 is how it happens. If these savages had the ability, they would have continued slaughtering Jews, rampaging through every Israeli village, town, and city they could enter. The only reason that the death toll was 1,300 rather than 33,000 is that the terrorists were thwarted by the heroic acts of Israeli gallantry and courage. Many civilians and security personnel were laid to eternal rest this week, whose heroic stories will be told for decades to come. Unbelievable, unimaginable acts of bravery, self-sacrifice, mutual responsibility, and love. Israelis now realize and we should, too, that this is a war of no choice, a war of survival. No one will be able to live in Israel if these savages are not eliminated. You wouldn't do it either. What are the rally-goers supporting on this day of rage? What is their message? They're not supporting peace. They are not supporting Palestinian rights. They are supporting ISIS. They are supporting a Nazi philosophy of exterminating Jews. Kill the Jews, gas the Jews. These are slogans that are often heard at Palestinian rallies. Sadly, tragically, the only way the West defeated Nazi Germany, the only way we defeated Milosevic, the only way we could defeat ISIS was through military force that cost the lives of many innocent civilians. 
On the highway to Berlin, our synagogue delegations speed by the city of Dresden in southern Germany. It's an entirely new city. Everything was destroyed by the U.S. and Royal Air Forces of the United Kingdom in the campaign to defeat the Nazis. Everything was bombed in Dresden. Only after the Nazis were defeated could the rebuilding of Europe and the reintegration of Germany into the civilized nations of the West begin. That many of our cherished and most senior educators do not see the insidious evil of Hamas, that the people that we entrusted to instill in the next generation of Americans moral and civic values tolerate anti-Jewish messages they would never tolerate against any other minority on campus? It's devastating to me. These are among the elite of American educational institutions, the best of the best, the pride and the joy of the American educational system, and the training grounds of our future leaders. I know that there are some misguided Jews who join and even help organize these rallies. Had they found themselves in southern Israel on October 7th, they wouldn't have been spared. No one would have asked them their views. They would have been raped, beaten, murdered, mutilated, and kidnapped like the rest of their fellow Jews. Come on. University presidents and administrators are acutely sensitive to and comment on every perceived microaggression on campus. They issue dramatic statements about Halloween costumes, for God's sake. But they can't comment on mass murder? and the evil, sick, deranged ideology behind it? Why? Is it that they do not see it? The most intelligent people in the world? Or are they cowards? Or, perhaps, in their heart of hearts, they are sympathetic to these days of rage and what they represent. We've learned over and over again in human history that there is no connection between native intelligence and moral intelligence. That some of the most brilliant people in the history of the world use their intelligence for wicked purposes. That so many religious leaders do not see the insidious evil behind Hamas. That the people speak for God and higher values are blinded by false concepts and duplicitous rhetoric is 
devastating to me. I know many of these religious leaders. I've sat with them and dialogued with them for years. Most of them are good people. Honest people. Sincerely committed to human virtue. But they seem to have a blind spot when it comes to the Jews. The moral rot that we have been warning about for years that has already embedded itself in so many American universities and other institutions is coming home to root. We have, at most, one generation to stop it and probably less. American Jews and so many other good people who are not Jews have been asking all week, what can I do to help? This is one critical way. Practically all of us are alumni of universities or have children in universities or in high schools or middle schools or we support a whole range of charitable institutions so many of us occupy senior positions in law firms, the media, and not-for-profit and profit organizations. Hold everyone accountable. Insist on moral clarity. Flood the leaders of these institutions with your righteous indignation. Support those who are doing the right things and saying the right things. They are under extraordinary pressure. Do not relent. If the leaders of these academic institutions do not respond to your satisfaction, withhold your contributions and redirect them to other more morally upright and courageous institutions. And don't do it alone. Organize, join with others, Jewish and non-Jewish, who are equally appalled. And students, march, protest, march, write, march, organize, and then march and march and march. So much more than Israel is at stake. It is our entire Western values system. It is the very principles that make the United States the indispensable nation, the, the last best hope of Earth. On this Shabbat, Jews worldwide begin reading the Torah anew beginning again at the beginning. In the Parsha of the Week, Breshit, we read the story of Cain and Abel. Cain murdered Abel in a spasm of jealousy on a day of rage. Am I my brother's keeper? He asks. Once Adam and Eve were expelled from paradise, 
Once they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and bad, of right and wrong, of justice and evil, humanity was both blessed and burdened with choice. In paradise, choice is unnecessary. But outside the garden, we must make moral choices. Where there is choice, there is free will. And where there is free will, there is moral agency. Choice is both a gift and a burden, both liberating and terrifying. Because to make the right choice, we must know ourselves. It is to know that within every one of us is darkness and the capacity to kill, destruction, hostility, and aggression lurk within the human soul, ever present since the moment God breathed into us the breath of life. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain's question was sincere. He really didn't know. How was he to know? Who taught him morality? To respect the life and the dignity of his brother. Humanity had just begun. They were the only two brothers alive in the world. The entire rest of the Bible and everything, literally every word of the bottomless sea of post-biblical Jewish tradition is dedicated to answering Cain's question. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. All of Judaism is devoted to helping the human creature climb out of the primordial moral swamp into which we were born and to pacify the destructive impulses of our nature, to tame the beast. We seek to express our ambitions and accomplishments, our aspiration for recognition and reward without converting these into murder, degradation, persecution, exploitation, and injustice. Judaism is devoted to helping human beings clearly see their own transgressions, their own crimes. It is a mark of healing, of growing, of moral progress when we recognize our own moral inadequacy. A good person recognizes the corruption in himself. The evil one does not. To know that we have sinned is to fill us with shame. For this reason,
we so often refuse to acknowledge responsibility. It is among the most difficult of human tasks to look into our own souls and to see human darkness lurking there. It's why we so often cover the nakedness of our crimes with the rhetorical fig leaves of freedom, honor, justice, faith, resistance. To be my brother's keeper is hard enough. To be my own keeper is practically unbearable. If a man can murder his fellows, calmly lopping off their heads, riddling with bullets and burning the bodies of babies, and he and his comrades consider that honorable duty in service of a higher end, God wants me to kill the baby. Can any person on earth be safe from the darkness lurking in the human soul? The monsters hiding in the shadows of our nature always seek to climb out of the confinement of the moral systems that we have imposed on them, to rampage across the moral terrain, destroying reason, community, fellowship, friendship, and life itself. Evil is rooted in human nature. But all is not lost. We know that goodness is also part of us. Along with the darkness, the irrationality, ugliness, and violence embedded in the human soul, the human creature is also noble in reason, infinite in faculty, in form and moving, how express and admirable, in action how like an angel, in apprehension, how like a god, the beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. Evil is never our destiny. We have a choice. Our choices make evil possible. But remember, it is also our choices that make love and goodness possible, a vision of glory and redemption. These two are innate in us. Here in this transport, I, Eve, and Abel, my son, if you should see my older son, Cain, Son of man, tell him that I...